Have y'all heard of this thing called the rubber chicken test? Rubber chicken test. Maybe you've heard of it. Um, there's all kinds of videos on the internet. Uh, police academies use it. Military uses it. What it is designed to do is to help a recruit learn to stay focused on what he's supposed to be focused on. And what they do is they line up these recruits and they stand at attention, focused on their leader, and then somebody sneaks up behind them with a rubber chicken and puts it in their face and squeezes it, and it makes a chicken noise. And so they, they go through the whole group of recruits trying to distract them, get them to smile or get them to laugh or, or shake their head or something. And if you fail the test, then you have to drop down and do push-ups. You can watch the video online. We didn't have time to show that today. But you know, there's a lot of things in this world that can distract us, especially away from God. There are many things that distract us today. I mean... You know, you just think about all the distractions there are, all the entertainment there is, TV and movies and, and things. You, you think about cell phones. We can get into our cell phone and, and get distracted away from God. You think about work and our job can sometimes distract us. Going shopping. Uh, how, how, for how many in here, shopping is a sport, right? It, it's something you do. It's an entertainment that you do. And so there's all kinds of things. Now, those things are not bad in and of themselves. And, and then there are bad things that can distract us, like an illness can be distracting or, or some problem we have in our life or, or some relationship that gets sideways and we have to deal with that. Uh, there can be some bad thing that happens, some crime happens to our family. And those things can distract us and they can even distract us away from God. And so we want to be careful. You know, there's always going to be issues that we're dealing with in our lives. And we want to make sure that in those times when we are distracted, we don't forget God. And that God is always present with us. I want to tell on myself a little bit. Came home one day last week. I think it was Thursday night. And for those of you that don't know, I have four women living with me. I have my wife, of course, my daughter, I have my mother, and I have my mother-in-law living with me. My house is full of, of women. I'm going to say it nicely. And, and, and I deal with it pretty well. And when I don't, I just leave and go away for a little while, go play golf or something. But I came home, and they were all gone doing something. Uh, all, uh, Jeanette and her mom were doing something. Marty had come and taken my mom, and they had gone somewhere. Caitlin was off with her boyfriend. And so it was every man for himself for supper. So I went to the refrigerator thinking I was going to get some of the leftovers we have. And somebody had cleaned out the refrigerator. I'm not going to throw anybody under the bus today. But one of those four women had cleaned out the refrigerator and the leftovers I were looking for was gone. So I kind of aggravated me a little bit. But then I looked at the top shelf and this jar of pickles was on the top shelf, which is only this tall. Laid down like that. Did you know that lid does not fit tight after you open the seal? So I looked, and there on that top shelf, there was a little puddle of pickle juice. And I said, well, that's not too bad. I'll, I took the jar out, and I got a rag and started wiping that up. Then I looked at the next shelf, more pickle juice. 
Then I looked down at the third shelf, more pickle juice. Then it hit me. There's two drawers. I pulled those drawers out, pickle juice in the drawers. And then there's a long drawer underneath those two drawers, and I pulled it out, and there's pickle juice. And then I took that bottom drawer out, and there's even pickle juice in the bottom of the refrigerator. Guess what my job was now for the next 45 minutes? I started taking everything out of the refrigerator because I knew it all had to be, the pickle juice had to be wiped off. The refrigerator had to be cleaned. So here I am taking, finally mom comes home. She said, what happened? I told her. She jumped in and started helping. Then Caitlin and her boyfriend came home. They jumped in and they started helping. And in about 45 minutes, we had the refrigerator clean. But guess what? I never thought about God one time while I was cleaning that. I was distracted. I was aggravated. I was calling somebody names that I can't say in church. I forgot about God. Just in that little incident, I didn't think. But you know what? I realized after I finished something, man, that refrigerator was nasty. And it smelled like pickles. But when I got through, it was clean and it was beautiful. And you know, maybe there was something growing in there that God didn't want me to get. And he used pickle juice to cause me to clean the refrigerator. I don't know. I know he gave me a great sermon illustration. I know that. But you know, sometimes we face things that can distract us away from God. And we forget all about God. You know, I said a little prayer this morning going over my sermon. I said, God, thank you for pickle, pickle juice. Because, you know, it helped me get my refrigerator clean. We're going through this series and we're, we're in the book of Nehemiah. And in the book of Nehemiah, he restores the wall in Jerusalem. Now, this wall had been broken down for almost 150 years. And Nehemiah, uh, you know, goes to Jerusalem. God laid it on his heart. He goes to Jerusalem. And we've been going through chapter by chapter through this book. And we saw in chapter 1 that he realized the problem. In chapter 2, he reviewed what the needs were. In chapter 3, he refocused the people. And then we come to chapter 4 today. And what I want us to draw out of chapter 4 is that we need to remember the presence of the Lord. Whether we're trying to build a wall or whether we're trying to clean up pickle juice, we need to always remember the presence of the Lord. And now the focus of this, we call this series Restore because we're thinking about Him restoring the wall, but we're also thinking about the church today because attendance throughout the land in churches is a down. And we need to restore God's church. So I raise this question as we begin today. Will we restore the church? You know, we're in a test right now. I call it the COVID test. I've taken COVID tests, you know, where they swab your nose. And probably everybody in here has taken one uh, at some point or another. I've had three of them now. Thankfully, they've all been negative. But we are in a COVID test in the church. Will we restore the church from the losses it's experienced due to COVID. You know, the church is down throughout the world in attendance. Some are even having to close because the people are not coming. 
Will, will this be the downfall of the church? Will it be the thing that starts to slide away from people coming to church? Not just our church, but any church. No. The Bible says the devil, as powerful as he is, will not stand against the church. God's church will survive. But there will be some congregations that don't. There will be some congregations that never step up and move beyond where they are today because COVID will have so drastically got on them and they won't be thinking about restoring. So we're going to think about it. So let's look today in Nehemiah chapter 4 and learn a lesson about remembering the presence of God. You know, so far... We haven't seen that Nehemiah rode in on a white horse and in a few days everything was solved. It took some time. He, that wall had been broken down for 150 years. And he had to work to motivate the people to get moving. And they started moving and building the wall. But look today at some of the challenges that they faced. It wasn't easy. We're going to be in chapter 4 of Nehemiah and we'll start at verse 1. When Sambalot heard that they were rebuilding the wall, he, came, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews. And in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring these stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What are they building? Even a fox climbing up on it would break down their wall of stones. So let's stop and think about this for just a minute. And the first thing I want you to see is that people will question whether or not we can reach our goal. Look at what verse 2 says. What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? You know, that shows what kind of respect the people in that area that were not Jewish, were not God's people, what, they, what kind of respect they had for them. They want that wall to fail. You know, Jerusalem was once a powerful nation, uh, a powerful city, and, and Judah a powerful nation. Under King David and King Solomon, it thrived and, and, uh, and was very prosperous, but not now. The wall is ruined. The gates are broken down. You know, there's, there's always going to be naysayers anytime you try to do something for, the God, for God. There's always going to be people that say they can't do it. Even when you try to restore the church, there's going to be people that say, well, we just can't do it. It's too hard. People don't care. It's too much hard work. We don't want to get our hands dirty. We want to get involved. Uh, you know, many Christians are okay as long as everything's going good. When something starts going bad, then they, they, they lose it. And they don't want to get involved in it. You know what, though? I know some Christians that are not like that. There's some people in our church that care about God's church. And they are willing to do what it takes to restore God's church. There are people that will be willing to give their time and their talent and their treasure to make sure that it happens. People willing to sacrifice for a God who we know sacrificed for us. You know, when, when we face hard times as Christian people, that's when we should be at our best. 
We should be the one standing up and saying, look, we can do this. We don't care if you say we can't. We're going to prove you wrong. We're going to do it. Look at verse 4. This is Nehemiah. Hear us, our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders, that is, the believers. So we rebuilt the wall till it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. You see, there were people in Nehemiah's camp that had a heart for God and wanted it to happen too. But what I want you to notice secondly is that both prayer and a united effort are needed to move forward. When the doubt lifted, what did Nehemiah first do? He prayed to God. And when people started saying it can't happen, Nehemiah says, wait a minute. And he prayed to God. He recognized the hatred that people had for him. And he recognized what he had been sent to do. You know, it was the ungodly people that came against Nehemiah in this time. You know, no one who worshipped the true God in that day would want to see Jerusalem with walls broken down and gates burned. They would want this thing fixed. This was God's city. This was where his temple was located. They would want it to be a, a, a bustling city full of people and the wall restored. I don't think anybody that believes in Jesus Christ and believes in God today wants to see his church down, wants to see his church dying. I think they want to see it thriving and doing what God created it to do. It will take some hard work. It will take people pulling together. It will take prayer. But you know what happens with prayer? That should be our first resort, but so often it's our last resort. Let me ask you a question today. Everybody knows we're having an issue with the smell. Has anybody smelled anything bad around Bristol? Dump. All of you. How many of you, I want a show of hands today, have really put in some serious effort in prayer for the dump? I didn't see any hands in the first service, and I don't see any hands in here. I didn't pray for it. Didn't even think about it. Maybe we ought to hold a special prayer service. Invite the mayor of Bristol, Virginia to come and the council, and, and let's pray over them and, and, and do. You know, it should be the first thing we did. And we haven't done it yet. And so often, you know, we live in this society, I think, this instant society. And so what we want is a magic God. God, I need this, and I want it now. You know the credit card commercial, I want it all, and I want it now. But God doesn't often work that way. You know how God so often works, and we're going to have a broken pickle jar if I'm not careful. You know how God so often works? Through people. So when we pray... God's then got to get people moving to answer these prayers. And maybe the best answer to some prayers is you. But there's got to be this effort on our part. In the book of James, he schools us on prayer big time. And I'm just going to sum up what he says in chapter 4. He says, you know what? You have not because you ask not. James chapter 4, he says, you don't pray. And he says, but... Then when you do pray, you often pray with the wrong motive. 
So he's saying, you got two problems, church. Sometimes you don't pray. You, you neglect prayer. And then other times, when you do pray to me, your motive's not right. You're selfish. You want it for yourself. Back in chapter 2 of the book of James, he also talks about your good deeds. He says, what good is faith if you don't have deeds with it? And he gives an example there. If somebody comes in with no food and no clothes, and you say, well, pat them on the back and say, we got faith, God will take care of you. But you don't do anything about their problem. He says there, in, in the same way, faith by itself, if not accomplished, accompanied by action, is dead. You see, we've got to have prayer, and we've got to have effort. We've got we to gotta lift, lift up. And we got to do what needs to be done. Now look at verse 7. When Sambalot, Tobiah, the Arabs, and the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod, heard that repairs to the Jerusalem wall had gone ahead, and that the gaps were being closed, they became angry. They plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem, to stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God, and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. So the third thing here is that the enemy will try to stop us. You know, anytime you try to do something for God, you can bet that Satan's going to be against it. And of course, these people were ungodly. Satan already had control of those people. And you can bet that Satan's going to be behind it. You know, I think this whole COVID mess, that Satan's probably behind that. I mean, you look at where it originated, the leaders of that country, they're far from God. Anytime you try to do something productive for the Lord, you got to know that Satan is going to, he's going to try to discourage you. He's going to try to work against you. Even many of God's people, we'll see in just a minute, became discouraged during this time when these other nations threatened to attack Jerusalem. But you know, God had, had, has given us a plan to stand against Satan and whatever Satan throws at us. Go with me to the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. In the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul is closing out this practical letter he's written to the church about certain things they need to do. And he says in chapter 6, verse 10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. And put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world. And against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. He says, so put on the full armor of God. Now what is that armor? Well, he lists it here. The belt of truth, that is God's truth. We stand firm that God loves us and that we're going to have evil in this world, but he will guide us through that. He talks about the breastplate of righteousness, that is holy living on our part. We strive to live for God. He talks about feet, feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. That is that we know the gospel message. That we are able to, to give that message of grace to other people. He talks about the shield of faith. You know, the Bible says that if we have faith, God can do even more than we imagine. He talks about the helmet of salvation. 
That is that we know that we are saved. 1 John 5.13 says, These things are written that you might know that you have eternal life. That's, that's not arrogant to know that. Have I done what God asked me to do? Am I striving to live for Him? That's confidence that the Word of God is true. Talks about the sword of the Spirit, which he says is the Word of God. That's the Bible that we have. And he talks about prayer. Those are the, those are the instruments that we need for the spiritual warfare that we're in. We should put those on daily and take them with us as we, as we go uh, about our business each day. That's how we combat the spiritual forces of evil and Satan. You know, there's, there's always been tests in this world. How else are we going to learn how to trust God unless we're tested, unless our faith is tested? That's where we learn who God is and we see how He works and we learn how to put our faith to work. Nehemiah didn't back away. When the threat came of people attacking them, he, he stood his ground. As long as Satan lives, uh, as long as we're in this world until Jesus comes back, we're going we're gonna to face trials and tests. We are in a spiritual war until Jesus comes back. That is for certain. That's why we need strong believers that are willing to, to serve God and pray and put in effort. That's why we need strong leaders, you know, uh, so we can follow His desires and not get caught up in our selfish motives. You know, our church is thinking about hiring a church consultant to help us as we go forward. We've shared that the last couple of weeks. Today we have a board meeting. We're going to vote on that. Uh, this consultant we're looking at has been through helping other churches, some 50 churches that he's helped turn things around. And maybe it's time for us to hire that. We're, we're considering that and praying about that. I want you to look at what Nehemiah did next. Verse 10. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said the strength of the laborers is giving out. And there is, there is um, so much rubble that we cannot build, rebuild the wall. All our enemies said, also our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and will kill them and put an end to the work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us, Ten times over, whatever you turn, they will attack us. Therefore I stationed some of the people behind them in the lowest punch of the wall and exposed places, positioning them by families with their swords and spears and bows. You know, sometimes we have to make adjustments. In the middle of our plan... The people uh, will need to make adjustments. You know, these people became overwhelmed. They were tired. They were afraid. But Nehemiah adjusted by placing guards in various places. You know, anytime you get into a major undertaking, you're going to have to make some adjustments along the way. Now look at verse 14. After I looked these things over, I stood up and said to the nobles and officials and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord. 
That's what he said. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and a light for your families, your sons and your daughters and your wives and your homes. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to his own work. You see, Nehemiah knew God was working and he had frustrated the plans of the enemies. So that's the next thing. Here we see plainly, our challenge is to remember the presence of God. You know, Nehemiah pointed to God as their hope, as what they needed to focus on. He wanted the people to remember the source of their strength. In Nehemiah 8.10, there's one of the most famous verses in the Bible. It says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Now, what does that mean? That means if we want to be strong in His work, that we recognize His presence and we joy in that because He's here to be with us in whatever we go through. You know, He's the one that set it on Nehemiah's heart to do this to start with. He's the one that made King Artaxerxes favorable toward Nehemiah so he would have the resources to come and rebuild. There's an old saying that says, if God brings you to it, God will bring you through it. And we need to always remember that. You know, that's where we always need to look, is to God. Is that He is the one that's leading us and guiding us where we go. And whether we're facing trouble or whether things are going smooth, then we need to give Him our attention. We need to also remember who we are. Because we're just not anybody. We're the people of God. You know, the church is not this building. The church is the people. And we are His people. Those who believe in Him, believe in His Son, we are His people. And He's promised to never leave us or forsake us and to go with us. When my boys were younger and they would leave the house, I would always say this to them. Have a great day. Be safe. Remember who you are. Have a great day. Be safe. Remember who you are. And why did I say remember who you are? Because I wanted them to remember that they are God's children. That they're going out into the world first to represent God, and second, to live the way He called them to, but to remember that whatever they faced, He was going to be there with them. We need to remember who we are. We need to remember God's presence. And you know, God never promised us that we weren't going to face trouble. In fact, Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. But he said, take heart, I've overcome the world. And we got to know that if we trust in God's presence, we can overcome. Verse 16. From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears and shields and bows and armor. The officers posted themselves behind the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand, held a weapon in the other. Each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. That's the guy who's going to call the trumpet when there's a trouble. I said to the nobles, the officials and the rest of the people. The work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated from each other on the wall. Whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there, and our God will fight for us. So even with God on your side, victory is going to require some sacrifice. 
You know, the call here is for unity. When you hear that trumpet, you come running. You come, you come to where we are. We're going to help each other do this. Together, we can make this happen. But everybody has to do their part if we're going to make it happen. Nehemiah reminded the people that they were fighting for their families and for the family of God in verse 14. Will we restore this church? I'll tell you what, I'm dedicating my life to it. And I know several other people that are too. And I hope you will. Some of you will recognize the name Alexander Solzhenitsyn. He was a Russian guy back in the... Uh, he lived from... 1918 all the way to 2008. And, but he was Christian. In his early days, he was Russian Orthodox. But he kind of fell away from his faith. But then he came back as an adult in his older years. But Solzhenitsyn spoke against communism and the Russian government. He was a writer. He was a philosopher. But he was also a political prisoner because of his stance against Stalin and his way he governed. And so Solzhenitsyn found himself in a Russian prison in Siberia. Cold place. Siberia. And Solzhenitsyn's job in that prison every day, he had to go out and shovel dirt. Every day. And he just got wore down and tired of it. Even though he's a believer, he wanted, he wanted to die. And so he decided what he was going to do is he was just going to go stand in the field, stick his shovel in the ground, and just lean on the shovel until the guards came. And he was going to refuse to work. And so they would beat him to death. And it would all be over. But he was standing there leaning on his shovel. And one of his friends knew what he was doing and went over in the dirt in front of him and made the sign of the cross. And when Solzhenitsyn saw that cross, it dawned on him. And this is what he said. My entire being was energized by that little reminder of the hope and the courage that we have in Jesus Christ. So anytime that you think, hey, we can't do this. We can't restore God's church. You just look to that cross right there. And you remember, Jesus went and died on that cross. He sacrificed. And through his sacrifice now, we all have a shot at eternal life. And here's our connection. If we stay focused on God's will and do our part, we can restore the church. You know, we see the commitment that Nehemiah had. We see the people bought in. They kept at the project even though they were facing trouble. Russ Johnson is a Christian author. And, um, and he writes in an article in Discipleship Journal called Faith That Works. Most of us believe that God can move mountains. We sang about that today, didn't we? But how many of us believe he will? There's a world of difference. We believe that God can work mightily on by our behalf, but are we but we really aren't sure he will. In Hebrews eleven six he says, We learn that without faith it is impossible to please God. But we must respond to our faith. The basis for that faith, the verse goes on to say, is anyone who comes to him 
must believe that he exists. And if he exists, who is he? He is love. He is a giver. He is a helper. He is a provider. He is a great physician. He is a creator. He is hundreds of things, Johnson says. And that's the basis for our trust in him. And I tell you today, he is a restorer. So we trust in God and remember his presence in all we do. And he will give us success. Let's pray. God, we thank you today for men like Nehemiah who stood up and felt your call on their lives and went and put in the effort and prayed and stayed focused on you, stayed faithful and remembered your presence in what they were trying to do. And we pray that you be with us as we go forward in the church. Lord, as we seek to restore. Some of us have other things we're working on restoring too. There are people here that are restoring businesses and restoring jobs and restoring family situations and restoring their health. Lord, they can use the same principles that Nehemiah used as he went forward to restore that wall. So we pray that you be with us today and you guide us and direct us and help us to put on that full armor and stand firm in your faith as we go about our daily lives. In the name of Jesus, I pray and praise today. Amen.